Welcome, movie fans. Thanks for joining us for episode 79 of Reading Between the Reels. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. And if you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Corey Heitschmidt. Justin Eldon's out tonight, but should be back next time. How's it going, Corey? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All righty. <laughs> Uh, and today on the show, we're celebrating the third anniversary of Reading Between the Reels and breaking down the final cut of Blade Runner with returning special guest Dan Zare of Coffee with Kenobi. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Hello there, friends. Very excited and honored. Congratulations on three wonderful years of Reading Between the Reels. I am excited to dive into this uh, Harrison Ford film, which I had never seen. You were the only person, apparently, Craig, who could get me to watch this thing. <laughs> Well, when I heard you talk about the fact that you'd not seen it on on Coffee with Kenobi, I was like, this is a challenge. Gauntlet has been thrown down. I need to make him watch it and talk about it on our show. So I'm, I'm so have. glad we have this. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump right in. Dan, why don't you start with your overall thoughts on Blade Runner? Oh, gosh. Uh, my overall thoughts is what in the H-E double hockey sticks did I just see? <laughs> I... I um, I didn't love it. Uh, I uh, I'm not even sure if I liked it, mm-hmm. but I am fascinated by it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the two of you think. I've got a lot of theories. As I said, it's pretty fresh. I just finished it um, a little bit ago, and uh, I've got a lot of interesting thoughts. I think it very much. Um, well, I'll save them. I'll save them. Yeah. But yeah, it's. It is, it is not, I, I, I watch you, there's like, as you know, 10 million versions of this thing. And yeah. I watched what was called the final cut. That, that's what yep. you told me to watch, but there was no mm-hmm. narration in it. Exactly. Oh, and that that's was on was, purpose. Okay. Yes, I kept I thinking, gonna... am I watching this? Cause I'm not watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> you were watching the, the best version of the film. Oh gosh. What's the worst one? Like, uh, well, it's got the narration in it for starters mm. and, and a happy ending. What? Wait. That's the one I watched. Watched the wrong stinking one. Oh, that's see. This is fascinating. Because well, oh. ending. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll jump in, Corey. Want you? Want you? Uh... Is it one where Harrison Ford is not a rapist? Is, or <laughs> no, that scene yeah. is in there no matter what. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Corey, you uh, you made it through. I didn't like it. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, now, now here's <laughs> hey. Listen, listen. There's. There's a few things about this movie that made me think and made me ponder and that made me go, okay, if that's what they tried to do, then I understand. Uh, I just am lost. The quality of filmmaking from 1982 to 2023 is totally different. And the quality of scenes and setups, this has a lot of the old style for how they made movies, and it was not. It was not working for me. It wasn't very good. It distracted me. It kept me off. And for the love of Pete, whatever version I rented, Craig, it cost me seven bucks because I didn't finish it in the first 48 hours on Amazon. And I had to re-rent it again to finish it. Mm -hmm. So then the next 48 hours I did. So you own it now. So now I might as well own the cut. (laughs) Apparently it's the wrong cut because it had Harrison Ford narrating. Yes. And I'm going to tell you, Harrison Ford is no Morgan Freeman when it comes to narration. He is reading, I mean, 
it was it reminded me of Captain Picard on Star Trek when he does the the little detective stories and he the way he tries to talk and overdo his detective mm-hmm. accent. That's yep. exactly the feel that I had watching this. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm watching the Star Trek holodeck right now. And uh but it was mixed in with some good things. <laughs> here's here's my number one take though from this, Craig. I'm gonna tell you. They stole the Star Wars crawl in the beginning from George Lucas with uh, the little Star Wars crawl they had going up, introducing the story. But Lucas stole their Jedi temple and put it in the the prequels because that big model that they used must have been the Jedi temple. And and the CD Underworld, I think George Lucas must have stole and made into Attack of the Clones with, uh, you want to buy some death sticks. No. This is the, no, no, it, no. It, it was like that CD Underworld no, no, no. kind of feel down there, and it threw me off. I was just too caught up in in some of those things. But for the darkness of Attack of the Clones, there's still some moments of joy. This movie, <laughs> I feel like I'm less capable no. of joy for the rest of my life now. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, Craig, you got to give us some redeeming yeah. okay. qualities Tell because me. it sounds Tell like it's two on one right here. So my no, guess is t- you grew up with it, so y- no, you're, and you're, actually you're stuck. I'd- Okay, that's a no, that's 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 a good guess, but it's but it's actually not true. I didn't see this movie till I think I was about nineteen, because I had, it just had been out there and I'd never seen it. I just it's Harrison Ford, and the same things that probably appealed to you, Dan. It's like it's science fiction. It's Harrison Ford. I have to watch this movie, mm-hmm. and I did not like it the first couple of times that I watched it. I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand mm-hmm. the hype. And it wasn't until Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out that I was like, okay, I I really liked. And I didn't see that until last year, couple, no, year and a half ago. And I watched that because it was Denny Villeneuve and I loved Dune. And so I was like, okay, I want more from this guy. So I'm going to go back, but I can't watch 2049 without revisiting at least the first one. I felt like I needed to. And so I watched the final cut. Like, well, okay. I, and I was also kind of turned off by the fact that there's, there's seven different versions of this movie. Seven? What? There's seven. But here's the thing. And I, and I, so I, I checked it out. I knew there were seven, but like, why? What's that? So- you got like a work print that doesn't really count. You got a sneak preview in San Diego. And then what you have is you got the U.S. theatrical release, which is the one you watched, Corey. Okay. Which is like, that's for us, like, you know, that's the, the original version of Star Wars that was on VHS forever, right? That lived in our minds is that that's the original film. And then, of course, you have the, there's a European version, which is slightly different. And then there's the thing that never happens anymore is there's like the, you know, the, the U.S. television version that's edited. Right, we don't have those anymore. Uh, the broadcast version, and then there's a director's cut. The director's cut is the first one that gets rid of the uh, the narration and gets rid of the happy ending. But with the story with that is it's it's based on notes that Ridley Scott had, and he didn't actually wasn't involved directly with it, and so it's kind of a misnomer that it's director's cut. The final cut, uh, which is the 25th anniversary edition, is the only one that Ridley Scott actually worked on. He didn't work on the original? Well, other than the original, of course. Oh, okay. But Did, like, so he worked on the original, and then all the rest of that is just editing out of his hands. Can is there that much extra nope. footage of this? Or is it was there that much extra footage they shot that they could redo this story? Or I hope was they it, put in more rain, because I think this needed more <laughs> oh my rain. Oh, goodness. I got that written right here, too. Oh, my gosh. So, no, the, the biggest differences are the, they take out the narration, which Scott never wanted. 
That's a studio thing that got put in later. Ford never wanted to do it either. And you can tell. Sounded like he didn't oh, want to do what it. Is he just like, is it like a gumshoe thing where he talks it, through? Oh, yeah. It's exactly it is, it is a is, 1960s black and white gumshoe sound. This would be kind of cool. Noir. At least the idea yeah. is cool. No inflection in his voice whatsoever. You picture Harrison Ford dry. There's a ton of inflection in the movie anyway, though. No, yeah. Yeah, you can actually find it pretty easily on YouTube, but they had them all. I watched it just the other day. They got, like, they're all spliced together and actually has the happy ending because that has one of the, the what, voiceovers. Now, what, on. what in the world is the happy ending? Okay, so <laughs> in the version that we watch, the real version, um, the, he sees the little unicorn origami thing, right? Yeah. And then there's the voiceover of too bad she won't live, but then, you know, then again, nobody does. And then they're like going to sneak out of the apartment. The door closes like on the elevator, and that's the ending, right? After that, in what the original version. What does that even version, mean? Is she well, supposed we'll to be a unicorn? It. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I thought I had a theory about that. Hold on, hold on. Uh, there's lots of theories about this movie. Uh, after that, there's a, sh- uh, a shot of them driving through, I think it's like Northern California. It's actually outtakes from The Shining. Uh, they're driving out into the wilderness and talking about, he, he's voiceovering about like, you know, they're going to end up together and. He's happy and it's, yeah, it kind of, it's your one moment of the joy. Beach boys? <laughs> no, there's no, oh, I bad. think it's probably a studio thing where they're like, there's no joy in this movie. We have to have something, but it feels hmm. out of place from this film. So, so yeah. All right. Uh, but I love this movie now. Tell, in tell fact, me, tell me why. Redeem okay. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I, I think it, I was finally ready to just enjoy it for what it was. I had different expectations for what I thought it was going to be, uh, but I feel like it is a really good slow burn film noir mystery. But also, with you have layers of philosophy and like what it means to actually be alive, and what do you do with your life, and what does it mean to be human. And it just spoke to me. Like it's, it's one of those things. I think it hits me on an emotional level where I just kind of, yes, I get it. It's art. And so it's subjective. And so there's certain people, you know, certain times, you know, different life experiences may affect that differently. This last time I watched it, it just flew by. I was like, I'm enjoying this so much. I also watched it with the subtitles on, which helped a little bit too. Oh, I bet. So let's play English teacher. You, you are an English teacher. Yes. Um, I need some specific textual citations about what are, tell me where, you see some of these philosophical moments or these moments of uh, whatever you said. <laughs> okay. So I think uh, like the first several times I saw it, I just thought it's just a straight up action movie, but really, really slow. Uh, watching it this time, it really solidified for me how much Batty, Roy Batty is not evil per se. He's just desperate. And his whole thing is that he's trying to extend his life. And so you have this question of what would you do in order to extend your life? It starts, I mean, that opening shot, just to kind of skip to cinematography briefly, is is, I believe that's Roy Batty's eye. It's that quick extreme close-up. And then it's interspersed with the the shot of of, uh, the Tyrell Corporation. Because his whole thing is I got to get to Tyrell and I've got to figure out how to extend my life. And Raz and Tyrell so becomes, is a character in The Phantom Menace. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm telling you. And so you get to that, and then you also have you have the end where, like, you know, why does he save Deckard? At what is it at the point that he has 
come to value life so much that he doesn't even want his what has been his enemy for most of the film to die. He but doesn't even know each other exists until the last twenty minutes. That's okay. True. Now there, see, and that, I will say this, there was a couple redeeming qualities that I thought, okay, I didn't see coming. I did not see it coming when he grabbed Harrison Ford and saved him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I slept through all that the first couple times I ever tried to watch the show. An expensive nap. Yeah, it's an expensive nap. And so I, I tell you what, I didn't see that coming, that he grabbed him, saved him, pulled him up, and then he had a little, uh, monologuing with, with a pretty good, very famous monologue, a very... My problem really? with him, he was too psychotic. And I, I get the point of you're going to try and be desperate to extend your life, but he was too psychotic and too crazy and demented. And I think Rutger, Hauser, Rutger Hauer does a great dark villain, but I feel like that's his own demise is doing this, that nobody's going to assume. Even if he did get Tyrell, he did get to Tyrell and Tyrell told him he couldn't save him. Even if he could have, when you're that psychotic, you're not going to do that because it's not going to be good. So I feel like it's kind of a stereotypical villain that we wrote in the eighties versus one that could have been written better for some, for what he did. He did have a good finish. He did have a great death. That was good. I think he just kind of sit there and just die. Yeah. yeah. He gives the, the tears in the rain speech and, and then it's right. his time to die. And he's holding a, I mean, there's a lot of pretty heavy Christian, yeah, metaphor the last in the hand and everything. Absolutely, yep. um, but I—it's hard for me to to empathize or sympathize with a, a sociopath and a sadist who, uh, who gleefully and angrily jabs, makes a bowling ball out of Mister uh, Tyrell. Is that his name? The guy with yeah. the funky glasses, yeah. the funky Cole Medina glasses. <laughs> um, that isn't even a good reference, but. <laughs> So, yeah, it's I will say he's the highlight of the movie for me because he's so captivating. Mm-hmm. He's not Heath Ledger Joker captivating, but there's something magnetic about him that I am drawn to. His motivation is inconsistent because I think his programming is inconsistent and his his struggle for his survival is sort of enveloped in what does it mean to be human? But he's not actually being human because he's a murderer and he's he has no sense of self. And that's scary. But I think that when it, when he saved Harrison at the end, I wasn't surprised. I expected because I just thought he was going to kill him. It was kind of cat and mouse thing. But all of a sudden he's like, hey, I've got an audience. I need to speak to this man about what I think life is. Uh, and I want someone to listen who at least has some sort of sense. I honestly kept thinking this whole movie, like from the first 20 minutes, I thought, okay, Decker's, um, he's he's also a robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kept thinking that was going to happen. And is he? I thought he was at the end. Is he? If he is, they don't say it. There is no definitive answer, and there is some evidence for both sides, which we'll we'll get into and talk about. And oh. that's one of the things that I really like about the second movie is that they somehow string that through where they still don't give you a definitive answer. But you're not you're not like, oh man, they should have given. But it still works because he ages, obviously. He does. And this is another thing I think that I struggled with the first couple times I watched this movie is, you know, it's based on, on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the book by Philip K. Dick. And I always just associate Android with mechanical robot. And so when they say replicants, I'm thinking robots. And they even call them robots a little bit in that crawl. Mm-hmm. But they're fully organic beings. They're 
like clones. They're not really clones because like they're Cylons originals. In the new Cylons. I was about to say it. My, well, one, one so of the greatest sci-fi another movies. Another thing that Easily. yeah, Blade Runner is a massive influence on so many different things. Mm-hmm. Believe that. So that I think, kind of understanding that that this is more what that is, made me appreciate it as well. And so then with things like. They age well. Why can't they age? This particular, you know, the Nexus Six was bred to live four years. Rachel is not that; she's a different model. So we don't know her lifespan. If Deckard is in fact a replicant, who knows what version he is? There's no set rules for that. He's a THX model. <laughs> now I don't yeah. think that he is. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I guess. I guess there's really not enough legitimate actualized evidence on either side it's purely speculative which is fascinating i yeah. get the fascination with it but i don't well, let's go through your list i don't want to yeah. railroad the show yeah no that's totally fine um the last thing i just want to say before we jump in is that for me i had a really hard time watching this movie for the show because there was so much for me to keep track of yeah because i i think the movie is I and mean, it's dark but i think it's beautiful i think in, in the way for what it is is that it's incredibly technically proficient. So all these things, a lot of, of movies that we watch, I'm like, occasionally they'll throw in a Dutch angle or an interesting shot or what have you. And this was like the whole time. It was just like, I have to keep stopping to keep up with my notes or I'm missing stuff. So it was kind of a beautiful torment <laughs> for me to watch this movie and to try and pull apart everything. And ultimately just say, you know what, I'm not going to catch everything. So I'll just write what I can. I will say, I got to say, though, Craig, to add to your list before we move on to the next section, I did think the depth of the plot does make sense. It's actually a good sci-fi type show of the robots were made by humans. Over time, they developed their own emotions. They evolved. They'd get new programming, which an AI would do, which is very realistic for, I think, where we're at now, verging on the verge of all this AI development and things. And then it goes to everywhere. There's replicants on everything. The snakes are replicants. The I mean, everything was a replicant at that time. And it was the whole, it's cheaper than everything else. Like the real things were too expensive. And so the owl was a replicant. Who? Mm-hmm. The, the owl? <laughs> the owl? Dad joke. Yes. <laughs> I'm so it. happy. I'm sorry. Thank you oh, so gosh. much. And so, so the owl. See? And, so, and so the depth of the plot was really good that they would develop their own. I, I feel like it's, but it is. It did feel very Cylon esque, and and you then, mean Cy- Cylons feel like Blade Runner esque? Yeah, this is kind of like a it pre predates, prequel man. to yeah. Caprica or something. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's jump into to the visuals and in, in the cinematography, and and Dan, I'm gonna just I'm gonna start with you. Mm. Camera work, angles, color. I mean, the cinematography is the best part about this entire thing. Besides for Crowder's performance, it's. It's gorgeous. It's it's a very it's a very artistic film, uh, and I think that comes through in, in the visuals. Um, the lighting is is superlative, especially because there's so much darkness uh, in this whole thing. I mean, is the sun even out ever? Not that I can remember. And and it just like with you know, we joked about the rain, but it does a, very much affect a, a sort of a dystopian noir mood. Uh, and uh, it's it's just lays very heavy on you, like the rain, the feeling, and the tone of it. Uh, so from that perspective, I think it's uh, it's very masterful. I mean, Ridley Scott is, of course, he's a, he's a he's a pretty big deal. So, and I think his artistic prowess shows. Uh, I think it's for me, it's fair to say that the art 
overwhelm the story so much that there really isn't very much of a story, I would argue. I feel you need to have me on on it for a movie that I actually like. I feel like I <laughs> well, come on rain on your parade all the time. We we did Superman and we yes, had a great time. Oh, so we'll, we'll bounce back delightful. and forth. Next yeah. time it'll be another movie that you like. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, Corey. Uh, I guess the stereotypical, like you said, the little noir setting that they had going. It's dark. It's gloomy. Everything for whatever reason is smoking in this dystopia to where it's smoke everywhere something's coming out of vents and everything and it's always foggy and dark and rain everywhere and uh i i feel like at some point that's the practical effect of the 80s trying to make the darkness of this area and of this time part of the show like it's they before use the frank setting. miller's the dark knight returns isn't it yeah, yeah it is and huh. it all that all kind of tracks a few years yep. yeah a few years that, that tracks though and uh it's too typical with Harrison Voy- Harrison Ford's voiceover version of "It's a dark and stormy night." It just felt too stereotyped. That's threw why me it's off. Taken out, later. but you got to think, think of it out. from the perspective of when it came out, not the you know forty plus years of things we've seen since then. Yes, and then now here's here's my one take. I guess for all camera work, all color, everything they do in the eighties and the seventies, when some of this <laughs> new film technology came out. And they did this with Star Trek, the motion picture. They did this with a lot of movies and mm-hmm. Superman, the original movie. They did this where a 15 second scene was two minutes because they were throwing in the scale view of the model as they were approaching that little Jedi temple, whatever it was, as they were approaching the Tyrell Corporation, Tyrell yeah. Corporation. they're approaching this model and you're getting all of the angles of it and the lights and the practical effects of it, which was a great practical effect model. But it's too long. It was a minute and 20 second scene. <laughs> and it was just no talking, just Gorgeous. musical overlay. Yep. And in that, in this time period in the 70s and 80s, that was a, a kind of a long stretch of things that were new to see. But in our time, it doesn't hit the same for me. I'm distracted by, oh my gosh, this scene could have been done in 15 seconds. <laughs> get me to the tower. I know it's Tyrell. He's got a corporation. Let's go. Right. It's, it's, I kind of have to get there quicker versus the buildup. I want the buildup on the characters and not always on the scenery, but the practical effects were what they were going for. So it, and so I get distracted by that. The same thing happened with uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Superman does it, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> he does it for days to where it's a little psychedelic for me and it throws me off. And it just, I get distracted by that long, those long scenes of building and changing focus and, did you see, did you both see Gravity? Yes. I started to finish it. I actually okay, so that this, movie. this entire movie I kept thinking of Gravity, because in my mind, I picture Ridley Scott and everyone working on his film saying, look how smart we are. We are so <laughs> clever with our <laughs> angles and our rain and our dark and stormies and this. And I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, this is so pretentious. This oh, is such yes. a pretentious That's sci-fi word. popcorn movie. Where they look at how sophisticated we are, and then they then they left the story in the in the water somewhere. Go uh, ahead, Craig. I, I, Craig I, what I, would you like to say about cinematography? I can't wait till Justin listens back to this and he's just yelling at his phone. He, um, oh, dude, I know. We, we saved you a seat, homie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So first off, Corey, the uh, you mentioned how long the. The, the shot is of of the Tyrell Corporation. Yes, I can I can up that for you because it is 
three minutes into the film before we actually get to see that cityscape. It's oh black screen with right white, letter, white lettering. White lettering. Three minutes. Yes. Uh, I, I took. Yeah, track this time. That's that's quite amazing. Uh, yeah, lots of rain. Obviously, the color. I'm gonna just gonna jump down to color because in the lighting, that opening scene with Rachel and well, not open. It's not opening, but a little bit early, early scene with the Rachel uh, interrogation scene where she takes the Voight comp test. So many shadows in that scene. Uh, I love that because very much it, so much is being hidden from us. Like who she doesn't even know that she's a replicant as well as Decker trying to figure out if she's a replicant and Tyrell's, you know, hidden agenda and all that stuff. I love how that's visually represented that way. And it's in that scene that we see the first bit of the light reflecting in the eyes. And this is one of those things that people will point to as far as text evidence uh, that Deckard is, is a replicant because these are the people that from my, from my record that you see with the light reflected in their eyes. You see Rachel multiple times. You see Pris, you see Roy, you see the owl in that scene. And there is one shot where you see Deckard when he's in the apartment with Rachel, where you see he's a little bit out of focus, but his eyes have that same glow to them. I so, didn't catch that, but so that's I one thing. That, Decker's I read that a replicant. Is his confusion uh, as to what <laughs> sure. is going on. But Again, there's nothing saying. definitive, but that's no, one thing that people will great. point to. Yeah, I love um, it. I also love the fact that there's light just almost constantly moving through, like those. It's like the floating billboard things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the spotlights flying through this whole time, where you're being blinded by all these different things, which kind of adds to uh, to the paranoia, and like you can kind of see, but you can't quite see everything that's going on. Uh, I mentioned the close-up of Batty's eye, which just struck me this last time. But I think the biggest thing that I got this time was how the two interrogation scenes, the one that it starts with, uh, where you have uh, Leon, and he, before he shoots, shoots Holden, is shot almost exactly the same way as the one uh, where Rachel's doing it uh, with, with Deckard. And you have this whole, just a ton of great stuff. And maybe they're showing off a little bit, but... You got a lot of these quick close-ups of the, the equipment. You get to see what it did. Like there's the bellows and you get to see the close-up of the eye. You have this uh, shot counter shot, which is mixed in with those, sh- between the two characters, mixed in with the equipment. And then you also have this, back to this super wide shot, uh, where you have you know characters on the far left and the far right in this perfectly balanced composition. I just thought it's beautifully shot. And I thought it was interesting just watching the two scenes back to back that they very much mirrored each other. Now, Craig, when you point this out, I got to admit, I always look at this and I say, okay, this is the beauty and the genius behind a director. And then Ridley Scott is a legend. Ridley Scott is a talent. Amazing. And it, if I look at that now and I watch that now, I won't. But if I did, I would appreciate it. And I'd be like, okay, that makes more <laughs> sense. That might tie the story a little better. But I just, when I watched it, I didn't pick that up. Yeah. And you always do this. You always blow me away. It's like a college course every time where I'm like, gosh, dang it. How, I, don't, well, I don't even know what I'm watching. Did I watch anything? You know, because I always look and I go, gosh, dang, how did you, you tie all those things together? He's crazy. Well, you should be directing. He should. You <laughs> well, should be we directing. Ha- we have to, uh, yeah, all props to Ridley Scott, of course. But we also have to mention the, the cinematographer, Jordan Cronoweth, who did a masterful job with this. Uh, he also did Altered States. He did The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which maybe we should watch at some point. And I just watched Rattle and Hum the other day, and I noticed he did the color, oh, just too? the color scenes from for you too. Yeah, um, his son um, Jeff did Fight Club, Social Network, and Girl with the Tra- Dragon Tattoo. So good genes on that. Wow. Um, but the yeah, kind of interesting. 
There was one other thing I wanted to mention, and I had I've seen this movie probably half a dozen times, and I'd never noticed it before. And this I thought was one of the coolest things that I saw was in this scene where Roy Batty finally makes it up to meet to meet Tyrell. Uh, there's a lot going on in that scene, but there's one part where the camera goes out of focus and Batty actually steps into focus. And there's this refocus on his face. And I thought that was just fascinating um, because it's at that point that you see also in body language, which we'll get to, is that that's where Tyrell steps back. And it's like at that point, what Batty's there to do actually comes into focus. And I just thought that was, it's the only shot like that in the film. I was like, what a cool, very creepy shot. Do you go, do you watch this real time or are you going frame by frame? No, I'm watching it. I'm watching You're it real watching time, this but real time and catching all of that. Well, I'm pausing it frequently. When I saw that, I went back and watched it multiple Craig, times because I was like, "This is so cool." Did I just see what I thought I just wow. saw? Wow! Yes. Wow! You might be a replicant, Craig. <laughs> I'm no, going to need you to. No. I need to look at your eyes. Because <laughs> no, because I will say I start to pay attention a little more to things like that when someone's moving and things. The focuses change. And I see that. And I'm starting, even when the uh, the girl, I can't even think of her name, she was walking through the streets and how she, you know, she's walking right to left. And, and I I didn't remember what it meant, but I was like going, oh, now Craig here always says something about when they're walking from a right direction or a left direction and how they pay attention to those things. And so it, it makes more sense. I start to pay attention. I'm slowly learning, but. <laughs> I even took a graduate film <laughs> class in this fall and um, I. I caught some of those things, not all of them, but I I knew that you would educate me on that, so I appreciate that. I but I still can't get away from like I'm still coming at it from a story perspective and a character, sure. which I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, which makes sense as an English teacher. That's kind of your that's the way I look at it first too, right? Yes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, um, but let's talk. Let's anything else on that? Are we ready to talk about sound? Let's talk about sound. Yeah, let's go ahead. So Dan, sound effects, soundtrack. Vocal sounds, any of those things. I the the thing that stands out to me about the soundtrack is sometimes I thought it was scoring something that I wasn't seeing, uh, particularly in the in the and I'm putting this in heavy air quotes love scene uh, <laughs> where they play the sexy saxophone where he yep. is in essence making her a slave and telling her what to do and what to think and not letting her escape and, and that may play tough and grim in a in a gumshoe detective thing, but I just kept th- seeing this as, Oh my God, this is despicable and disturbing. And she's completely, uh, not wanting to be in this situation. And he, because he's horny, uh, is making that come to fruition. And she doesn't really seem to have much of a choice. She has no agency of any kind. And, and the fact that we're playing that saxophone made me think, okay, this is a different time period. This mm-hmm. is a time frame. I don't even think the irony is realized. I think they think this is, manly john wayne type stuff and i found it to be grotesque and i was like come on this is my boy harrison but yeah, yeah he's he's not a fully likable character in this he's and not there's even, even much of a character like he has zero arc i mean what i can't i can't i can't honestly say i mean you could tell me and i'd be interested to see what you think but what is his arc i don't want to be a repl- um a blade runner but okay i'll be a blade runner okay i'm gonna go away and i fell in love with the robot Great. Uh, that's that's that that right there is almost word for word the uh, narration that he gives. I mean, it's like <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Well, that's how bad know, it is. He and I spoke about this repeatedly. No, 
<laughs> I mean, that could have been true, but yeah. you hadn't seen the movie. But the next time, you'd be like, "Yeah." So, Blade Runner, really? Harry, come on, man. Corey, uh, sound, it, sound stuff. I felt like I was watching Lethal Weapon. You know how Lethal Weapon just has such a long music all the time, everywhere but they it's turn around. Saxophone heavy. It's, it's, it's yeah, that it's saxophone. But that's Sandborn. only that saxophone. It came in that yeah. one scene, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm watching Lethal Weapon." And then uh, I wish I was watching Lethal Weapon. There were the synthesized music for all the sequences in the eighties. The synthesizer was the most amazing thing. So it's it's the period of the time where yeah, great. That's what you got, and you got yeah. some great sounds I and sounds. Works in Halloween too. Works for Axel F. And so yeah. it's like they they do that so much, and uh, it builds the story. But for me, because the scenes are so long and distracting to me, I end up just clicking ten seconds. 10 seconds. Like I jumped forward on a couple scenes and it, I mean, him looking Harrison Ford, looking at pictures, drinking out of that whiskey glass was a 15 minute scene. Oh my God. It's important. 15 minutes of it. Well, I know, but he was looking at photo well, albums for 15 minutes. Important. Okay. Well, he, he talks about, oh, it, it, it's, there's some of it that's in the, uh, the voiceover too, but um, so the, the, the replicants don't have, emotions right so they give them fake memories to give them this bed of emotions so that sure. they don't act psychotically which is why i idea. thought he was a replicant yes because he also collects old photographs that aren't of him oh so that, we that see didn't in his, come through at yeah, all it shows up in his apartment cut. too so that's another thing where people are like he's a replicant because just like leon he had pictures that weren't of him although he did have some pictures of um the girl i can't remember her he had name a picture of Corey, which i thought Zora. was pretty neat uh, yeah, I was very impressed. Good for you. Uh, but wait, <laughs> so you, how, why do we know? Why do you know that? Is that in the narration? The part I didn't see. It is, but it's also in. Uh, Tyrell mentions it earlier too. Yeah, and then um, he talks to Rachel about it too when he reveals to her that because she didn't know that she's a replicant, right. and that's with that, that you know I made a bad joke. It's in that. It's in that scene. You're forgiven. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Vangelis did the score. The guy that did Chariots of Fire. So. That's fantastic. Not just some random dude playing keyboards. I haven't seen I, that. I, I haven't either, but I know bad. but I know that music. Of course. Like everybody knows that music. Especially if you grew up in the eighties. Like that was everywhere. Yes, yes. yes. Uh Academy Award winning uh, score for that. Golden Globe for this. Um no yeah, I also had Yeah. Uh I also had the tenor sax solo, which is like the only like traditional instrument that shows up in this. Uh one thing I really liked was the, I always loved the the sound effect of the spinners, the cars flying by that Doppler effect. That is terrific. Those, love that. those police cars that fly are, are a wonderful. I do love yeah. those very much. And you know, there's um, the guys that worked on that's the same guys that worked on, I'll get to the name. I can't remember. I'll get to it. We get to, to the design. Uh, no worked on uh, not the, like the red effects. It's the same guys that did close encounters, which I've never seen. Oh dude. <sighs> such a good film it's I also know. very slow uh, slow order. doesn't bother me as long as we yeah. have a point it's vintage spielberg though it's it's just genius Great. um i also loved the and john williams um the fade out of the audio during the von kampf test for our void kampf test rather for for rachel is that just german kind of, uh i'm assuming sounds like sounds, it. sounds german um is showing that a real test or is it like the turing test the turing test is a real test i don't think the void comp is it's okay. probably based on stuff but okay because um, it's the test he gives rachel and it, it takes far longer than it's supposed to because she's such a good replicant and so that's the way they show 
and because he thinks she's because of the fade out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The voiceover. Yeah. He, he's on record as saying he hated doing it. Ridley Scott didn't want those either. Um, I that was really, nice thing about watching on Amazon yeah. is it, it will like pop up those things and you can kind of read that stuff. Yeah, that's fun. Um, and then, yeah, I just noticed this time that he replays a lot of the Voigtkampf interviews to get to give us context. Because um, he's he's, he's kind of thinking that which because what I what I what I read when I researched this was you know the studio was like well we they give some uh, it did like some test screenings and the audience didn't understand certain parts and so. The studio's idea was, well, let's put in those voiceovers. And really, Scott's and Harrison Ford's idea was, let's film some extra scenes that actually show that instead of telling it. Uh, and this right. would be some of right. And this would be some of those scenes where you don't have to have him saying, "Well, I was thinking about the time when this happened when Holden got shot by Leon." They just play that scene, and so you get to interpret yeah. instead of having it told to you. That might have been better because Harrison Ford really was like a William Shatner. Sounding. It's really bad. You I, should check out the was, YouTube I, video. It's I'll dark to take and your stormy night. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, but I think that's all I had. Oh, just the the crunching of Tyrell's head by Batty is just just yeah. gross and visceral. It didn't it, it didn't stand out uh, the sound, but it, but it's because I feel like this is more of a visual film than anything else. Sure, and I almost feel like the music is a part of the visuals too. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let's go ahead and slide down to performance then. Um, I don't think anybody's over dramatic. Maybe, maybe Batty here at certain points veers uh, toward melodramatic, but I thought Leon or, was overly violent. I all these replicants are overly violent. Leon was who's uh, the goofball at the beginning? That's Leon. What Leon. is he? What else is that actor in? He looks so familiar. Oh, so with. Sylvester Stallone and so uh, many Russell, things, which is a classic that I love as well. He d- he's a good bad guy in shows. I, I thought, thought he, he, I thought his performance at the beginning with the whole turtle tortoise thing, and I really found that to be compelling. And I thought I, I think I yeah. wanted more of that dichotomy instead of just uh, we're um, a lot slower moving Terminator sort of a thing. Um, I thought oh. all the performances were solid. Harrison, I won't say Harrison's performance was disappointing. Uh, but his character was really uninspiring to me. And I, I found myself, you know, when you think about the pantheon of Harrison Ford movies in the 80s, of course, you think of our Lucasfilm characters. But I, but he's always mentioned sort of sl- shortly after that. And after I watched this movie, I thought, I don't get that at all. Besides the fact that it's Harrison Ford and he's super cool. Like, if Harrison Ford is eating a grilled cheese sandwich, I'm happy. Now, if Ridley Scott is directing Harrison Ford eating a grilled cheese sandwich, it's a six-hour event. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know. I just remember thinking if this was the only thing he was in, I would instantly notice him as being, he's just such a charismatic leading man, but because there is no arc to him as a character, I found him not at all interesting, but I, I love Rucker Howard, even though he was disturbing and almost like um, an articulate Michael Myers to a degree, the way he acts mm-hmm. in superhuman strength. Uh, Daryl Hannah was pretty good. Yeah. Um, that's for what she did. And, and, um, you know, I'm sure uh, teenage boys liked watching it, her in it, especially because of her outfits. Um, but uh, other than that, I thought everyone just kind of played. Um, I thought John Penn was as really compelling as um as a trapped replicant, uh, trying to feel but not knowing how to, and just kind of being emotionless and or not emotionless but soulless and sad and tragic. 
I thought that came through very, very well. Yeah, Sean Young's really young in this too, and I, I think she she I to- she holds her own pretty well. Brian James is the name of the of the guy that played Leon. That's and Edgar James, Edward, Edward James, almost speaking of Battlestar Galactica. Yep. I mean, his character was, was pointless, but he was fun. Oh, no, he's interesting. No, now, that's where I think if Decker was a replicant, Edward James Olmos was, although he had weird eyes. So I thought at first I thought, oh, this guy's a replicant. But like he I don't know. He's he was something with the horse or the unicorn. At yes. The end. Yes. Is so he the one who like, makes those paper things? Yes. He makes all the origami. But he figures. didn't do the unicorn until the end. I'm sure yes. it's supposed to be symbolic of something, but I don't really it know is what dream. it is. Yes, because Harrison Ford has the dream. Deckard has the dream of the unicorn. And so Gaff making, this is one of the theories, making the, the origami unicorn and leaving it outside his door is it has been interpreted as that dream was a memory that was implanted in see, Deckard. And, and that Gaff was aware of that. See, I took that as uh, he's giving him a gift saying, you know, you can be happy because Sean Penn is a unicorn because she is like Shohei Otani and she is able to survive. They keep saying Sean Penn. I have to laugh that. Sean, 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 Sean Young, Penn. though. <laughs> I was like, Sean Penn's in this? He must be Sean really Penn. good. Yeah, he's, uh, but he's no, I, really you know, it's, good. It's not, de- it's not definitive, of no, course. No. But-, but see, they could have. This is why this is the one part on this performance scale of acting. This is the part I think they should have done. It would have been a redeeming quality here for me is – when Harrison Ford was about to fall, if Rutger Hauer saw Harrison Ford's eyes flash and you give us a definitive, he's a de- he's a replicant, then that he has a reason to save him. He saves him. He goes on his monologue. He dies knowing Harrison Ford's a replicant. That he saves would him because he's me, alive. That would have given me a little bit of, I'm not going to let another replicant die even though this replicant's killing other replicants. And so it would have been a more redeeming quality for that villain. Now, thinking about that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that just basically became what happened in Battlestar Galactica. They see the eyes flash and, oh, he's one of the five and they turn around and don't kill him. So that's it's the same type of premise, but it gives you that finality of, okay, is he a replicant or not? gives you that he is, and we can move forward with the story of, oh man, this makes more sense now. See, I think but I was so, lost on it, I, and I think that's that's interesting. See, the problem for me, and I, and I believe me, I take this is not Sean Ford, and I take no pleasure in not liking this movie. I I wish I did. I really want to like it, but I, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I think by that point, I was captivated by what was happening, but I was more than okay with it being over, which I don't mm-hmm. usually feel when I'm watching something that I like. And by this point, I didn't care enough about Harrison Ford's character. Uh, to even care what the rationale was, I just was like, okay, um, this is more pretentious stuff that is over my head. So and I think that's a problem, but apparently it's not a problem because this is a, a movie that people really, really like yeah. and it stood the test of time. But uh, I, it's one of those movies that I wish I saw when I was younger because maybe I'd be more emotionally invested in it. But it's it's almost like in that RoboCop vein. I think that's a better comparison than Lethal Weapon because robocop and this don't really have a lot of joy in them and they're just they're just very dour 80s you know cold war kind of stuff and i don't know well i think you know you can almost look at it as roy batty being the protagonist almost for sure i think in a lot of ways that he is he's a foil for deckard i think that's really what we're looking at Corey. is that he he sees 
the humanity or he sees equality. He sees something that he recognizes in Deckard, whether or not that he's a replicant or not, I don't think is what's important. I think he just sees him as another living thing. And he's only got a, he knows he only has a few moments left to live and he yeah. makes a choice at that point of what to do where he hasn't been able to make any choices. And which is kind of the one big thing of that too. He talks about, you know, um, there's a great, that's actually a quote. Let me see if I, since we're already kind of down there already. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, quite, the, quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. And I think that it's a, that's just when Deckard's hanging off there, that he's seen that mm-hmm. this experience that I've had where I didn't have any choices and I just lived in fear because I knew I was going to die quickly. Deckard is also experiencing that, and he doesn't want anybody else at this point to, to experience that. But yet, Sean Young is a slave to Harrison Ford, uh, really. And and here's an interesting thing that I, I'm sure you both noticed, but when Rucker Howard uh, meets his maker, and there's that scene, and apparently, I'm sure you both noticed, the, the interior was modeled after the Vatican office, but when he's got his arm around Rucker Howard and he's talking to him and rubbing his hair, it's almost like he's hearing his confession. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, I've done some, I don't know what his word is, on some bad things, some, I don't know what he said. Yeah. But it's almost like at the end, when he saves um, Decker, I feel like that's his way of trying to atone for taking yeah. all the lives that he has taken. And that that's pretty cool, if that is, in yeah. fact, the purpose. I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Even though yeah, the- he wants he wants a, a challenge with Harrison Ford, and he keeps letting him go, uh, he, still, he still likes that thrill, because it's like the last few moments before his candle is going to extinguish, which is a metaphor right. that is used about the brightness and how long that the brighter the blast, the brighter the flame, the smaller the. Oh, that was good. Yeah, I'm going to pull out a quote just real fast from that scene, Dan. That you got me thinking about this because there is so much biblical imagery in that my... in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so sorry, Corey. You're going to steal uh, my quote. I Tyrell know says, "You are made as well as we could make you," and Batty says, "But not to last." And then Tyrell says, "The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long, exactly. and you've burned so very, very brightly, Roy. Look at you. You're the prodigal son. There's one." You're quite a prize. And then Batty says, I've done questionable things. And this gets to what you said about like taking confession. And he says, also extraordinary things. Revel in your time. And then Batty says, nothing the god of biomechanics wouldn't let you into heaven for. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. Fitting with what you talked about with the set design and how that scene kind of feels like he's giving confession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the, even the apparel that... Um Tyrell is wearing two like these big gaudy Mm -hmm. uh, over the top exaggerator robes yep Uh, and the scale of acting did you think that Sebastian JF Sebastian who played William Sanderson or uh, William Sanderson played JF Sebastian Sebastian and Tyrell were the same person they were just different levels of uh, comfort because Sebastian was making toys which were very creepy to me uh, and yeah. I remember that when I saw this, I saw this movie when I was a kid and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's scary. Uh, yeah. The toys were the same thing as replicants. They just weren't as advanced. And then he goes over to Terrell, who they're best buds with playing chess all the time. And he's living in luxury doing the same thing, but his are replicants. And I felt like it was the same character, just in two different hmm. uh, hierarchies of, of this yeah. colony, this dystopia. I kind of read through a Marxist theory of, of just like... You know, the if you have more, you are more. You know, able to take the person who's who's weird and 
is aging prematurely as a real human being. And he's got these weird, creepy toys that would give most people nightmares in the eighties or me in the 2020s. Yeah. yeah, it's creepy. Um, so that, so that's kind of a nice juxtaposition there for sure. Yeah. I texted Corey and Justin the other day, I was watching Batman, the animated series and, uh, best William, animated series ever. Fantastic. And, um, what's his name? William Sanderson. Is that what it was? What's his name, Corey? Uh, William Sanderson. He's Sanderson, a great yeah, was actor. on there playing a guy who invented robots. No way. And his voice is so distinctive. And I literally, I was just watching Blade Runner and then I was watching Batman and I was like, Oh my goodness, that's an amazing, that's a Blade Runner reference. How right fun now. is that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. He's the guy from Newhart who played. Uh, yes. Yeah, why is this guy from Newhart over my brother. Uh, hit on my brother, Darryl. Darryl. My other brother, Daryl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He'll always be that guy for me. I think that he was is. the first time I ever saw him in anything. Uh, other, other quotes that you guys want to pull yes. out? I have to pull this quote out because I actually, this is my one payoff, my one redeeming quality for the show, Craig. Okay, I love payoffs, and I feel like this is the only part, is when Rutger Hauser is going on his monologue, and he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire on the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain. And I felt like a whole story arc that was built on robots who began to develop emotions and were trying to find their meaning of life. He's realizing all the things he's captured that humans would never see and that he can't pass on. It's that typical, most basic instinct of human passing on my knowledge, my, my whatever I have to my next generation. And as he's about to die, and maybe this is why he says, saves Harrison Ford, to give that comment and say, I need to pass on mm-hmm. what I have left. Because otherwise, guess what? It was tears in the rain and it washed away and it's gone forever. And it is. It's still the things he saw were, but he was able to say to Harrison Ford, you know, and it's like this parting. I've passed on my memories and now I can, I'm gone. So that's a, that's a payoff quote. I feel like it's a yep. pretty... Very uh, zen or very powerful moment that I looked at and said, okay, here's my redeeming quality for it. Even though the rest, it just took me 90 minutes to get there. I still don't know what any of it means. Um, (laughs) I I just realized too that like, I'm I'm assuming I'm the only one in this group that has seen Blade Runner 2049. You're correct. I fell asleep in that one. Having that context, knowing how that movie builds off of this one, because it answers a lot of those questions and builds on that theme that you're talking about, Corey, there are, this is the first time I've seen this movie after seeing that one. So I'm also watching it through that lens for the first time, because there are certain things that film does immediately, like Ryan Gosling's character, Kay, they straight up tell you in the first five, 10 minutes that he is a replicant who is a Blade Runner. So the like the theory about Harrison Ford being a Blade Runner, like they just no, no, he is, and he's taken out other replicants. And there's also one of the big plots of that one is that the new guy who's in charge of the replicants, Jared Leto's character, is is obsessed with creating replicants that can reproduce yeah. and can pass on. And I mean, who can- among us does not have the same? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's some heavy heavy stuff That's- in there. About that, and then Harrison Ford comes back in that too. But there's they, they kind of answer and also ask different questions that we've kind of hinted around, we've kind of touched on that this film hints at too. So well, I only um, saw one scene from that movie. It was on HBO Max, and it was like 
them in a like train or something and it was filling up with water and i kept thinking what is this stressful to watch yeah and that was all I it's saw. a beautiful film though that's another my son wow. who graduated from columbia film school in chicago said it's a gorgeous film yeah and he is and my son actually is a cinematographer so that's fantastic yeah. uh I will say when you Google Tears in the Rain or Moments Lost in Time, it brings up a ton of things about this Blade Runner movie. And then and it Millie is, Vanilli, too. <laughs> well, it, but it, apparently it was written by David Peoples, and it was altered on scene by Rutger Hauer, and it is frequently a quoted <laughs> monologue, and it's a 42-word monologue. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's quite Does a it big thing. Does it make references it's, to things that – happen in universe that we're just not meant to know but just the, the notion Off of world stuff right beautiful that- things so so tell me emotionally why am i supposed to be moved by that i think because i think i look at it as here's this i've been watching him he's a villain to me he's not worth saving let him die and mm-hmm. be done luckily his battery's about to run out kind of thinking huh. but then you look and you go wait a minute his whole thing was a desperation ploy of I need to pass on my my next generation for something. I need to pass his whole ploy was I need to live longer and the things I've seen. He's clutching at last minute uh deathbed confession type things or deathbed I need to get what was it for? What was my years for of all these things I saw and the marvels that he saw and I think it makes sense for why he is the way he is and what he's doing at the end. I guess it's it's kind of the redeeming quality kind of in Battlestar Galactica with some of the Cylons where you see that not all of them think the same of just annihilate the humans. Mm-hmm. Some of them think of the beauty of those things. And so I, it makes more sense to me. I look at it through the eyes of the Battlestar Galactica, just absolutely loving that series. It's perfection. Uh, of, of the new series more than mm-hmm. the old Never series. Never seen it. Oh, gosh dang it. The Craig. new series? Yeah. Nope, oh, never seen it. Craig, I love the old one though. You were legitimately. Like I agree it. with you. It's on my list. Seriously, we need to do a podcast on. I don't know one of them, but something. But I don't even know the original series at all. But the 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 new ish, even though it's not new anymore, is uh, a is extraordinary narrative. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. So anyway, but it, it it portrays that in that mind, and I think that's where I think of it as more of a. This is a much more spiritual comment than I'm powering down now. And okay. Terminator Two, thumbs up. My light's going off. I see, and I felt no pathos of any kind. <laughs> Zero. That's all right. Zero. That's all right. I wanted um, to, but yeah, know. yeah. Rucker so we're, Howard is terrific. I, I yeah. love him. I think he's. I think he is the saving grace in this movie to me. And this yeah, is from a guy from a guy who, uh, of course, like all of us, loves Harrison Ford. Yep. But not in this. I don't love him in this. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to. That's Greg, whatever, yeah, that's whatever day you do uh, Blade Runner 2049, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to be sick that day. I won't be able to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ask my replicant to fill in. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's Roger Deakins. It's Denny Villeneuve. It's I'm Hans sure Zimmer. It it's just slow and beautiful. No, I'm sure that's also uh, true. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're running a little bit long, so I'm going to skip down to I so much more I could say. Um, body language, facial expressions, anything else that we want to talk about with that? Before Are you talking about me to- and Corey as we talk about this movie? Or- <laughs> I'm slumping in my chair further and further. <laughs> I almost oh, can't see you. <laughs> I just wanted to mention first, I remember being, it's, it's funny now to think of it this way, but like just Harrison Ford's hair being that short was weird mm-hmm. when it came because we were so used to seeing him with Such Han Solo. Such a handsome man, long. though. God bless he him. He is a handsome dude. Um, 
Rachel's hair and makeup, I think, is fascinating. Uh, She's great. I found a quote. She was it was patterned after um, Hedy Lamar. That's one quote that. Of course, uh, yeah. Um, that reminds me of Blazing Saddles. Saddles. Yeah, Hedley Lamar. Yeah, that's Hedley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's fun. So you have this very classic, you know, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties era mm-hmm. look that's Purposeful. in twenty nineteen. Um, very cool. And then, of course, I had I did one thing I did want to mention is the fact where she takes her or the the scene where she takes her hair down. I mm-hmm. felt was very much a a sign of her. Here's a word for you, Dan: burgeoning independence uh, and her rebellion after she learns that she's a replicant. And it she, lasts she's, for two seconds. <laughs> and then yeah. some other stuff happens. Okay. Um, oh, wait, can we talk about that absurd sequence with that snake stripper? And yes. Then, what in the heck was, was that? Zora? That was. It, so what, what, I kept waiting yeah. for a hero shot or a hero moment, but Harrison Ford only kills females. Uh, really, I mean, not. That's I mean, true. that's not on purpose. That just happens to be how that happens. But yeah, he would have killed that, Leon if he had a chance. What's that? He would have killed Leon if he had a chance. He just oh, got over. Of course, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, but but at that moment, if you want to read it through a feminist lens, he is portraying non-traditional. Uh, um, male feelings, which is that of of being sad, of being of being vulnerable, right? And in the eighties, that would not be uh, considered a very manly trait. Yeah. So how interesting. In his yeah. uh, monologue, he laments the most famous line of all monologues: "What the hell was happening to me?" Uh, around that time too. So it's uh, well, as the guy named Bill a, Shakespeare that has some other monologues, which might yeah. be a little bit better. Yeah, it's completely unnecessary because <laughs> then he says to he says to uh, to Bryant, who you know at the end he's like, yeah, there's you know just two more left, and he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we also have to kill Rachel, and that's where he's like, yes, he's like, what no, you talking I'm, about, Willis? Speaking of the yeah, ADs, essentially, what? yes, essentially. What? And Harrison Ford didn't watch that snake scene. He turned away. He was grossed out by it for whatever was taking place, which was must have in been real life. Bad. You mean? No, in the in the movie, he looks away. He's like, kind of goes like this, and he's spat in his eyes, like, which I thought it was very seedy. It was very something. That's what makes me town <laughs> that this whole town was seedy and dirty. And you want to buy yeah. some nest sticks, kind of kind of town. <laughs> the eye stuff is great though, because there's that scene when Ruckauer kills that man, and he's he makes eyes. I mean, the, the whole eye thing is just it's it kind of helps to build up the murder at the end of the film. Because uh, everything's all about eyes and vision, and yep. and there's some foreshadowing there a little bit where he talks about sure. you know the things I've seen with your eyes. Yep, you know, and the yeah. eyes are so very poetically, very, poetically they're a very important thing yeah. in this film. You know, I, I've also had I, I should mention this too that Tyrell has these really thick glasses mm-hmm. because he's a visionary, but he can't actually see what he's done or it's what it's going to cost mm, him. Well said, well said. So I mean, otherwise, like. What's the design choice on that? That has to be intentional because those are weird looking glasses. They are, but he also, I loved him when he sang Candle in the Wind. I thought he was really good. <laughs> uh, now, that's the guy who's the bartender from The Shining. Love him. That's the only other thing I've seen him in. Joe uh, Turkle. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So, let's see. Uh, let's talk about setting and design a little bit. I did mention um, the special. Douglas Trumbull is the guy who did the visual effects. Uh, for this movie, also did for Close Encounters. I mentioned that, which I think it's pretty obvious it's that. He also did, you'll love this story, 2001 and Star Trek The Motion Picture. So there's uh, your nice slow shots. Uh, of there, course There you go. Uh, but uh, they're great. They the spent tunnel, some money on that. The tunnel scene, there's a tunnel scene in there that is the exact same tunnel as Transformers, the 2007 movie, by the way. 
there's the tunnel they go through with the lights on yep. top. I actually looked up both scenes, paused it, and it's the exact same tunnel. Yep. Exact same location too. Same angle, everything. Very famous tunnel. The Bradbury building, very famous location yep. as well uh, for JF Sebastian's apartment, which is interesting how that thing is just completely tore up on the inside. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I will say for set decorations, I got to take issue with Harrison Ford's apartment. Back then they did these practical effects like this, but something about futuristic apartments have to have square spiraling uh, walls behind them that the walls were very, they were just too much. I have a quote. I have an idea about that, though. I have a oh, thing. That's, okay. That's, Here we go. That's, it's, yeah, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. It's the Ennis house. That's what that's based on. That's not just a. You mean hey, the house of, of. I got to look that up while we. Yeah, you have to look that up. Just the second movie where the Frank Lloyd, Lloyd Wright. Die Hard did that, too, with the inside the Nakatomi building. Um, yeah, I had about Sebastian's apartment, though. I thought that. That was interesting. His apartment was just fascinating to me because it's it's filthy and wet in the hallways, and then inside it's got all of the, it's got the toys and the mannequins and the robots. But he also has some really ornate drapes and furniture. It's like he's, you know, Dan. You mentioned something about like, well, both of you guys did about the the parallels between him and and Tyrell. It's kind of like he's trying mm-hmm. to get to that point, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have the means or the sophistication to do that. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like he is a foil for Tyrell in that way. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to I illustrate that. that for sure. Uh, of course, we have the origami figures; those are super important. The unicorn, which is depending on who you ask, is super important. Uh, the photographs, of course. The vid phone cracks me up now because yeah, because <laughs> that was so modern too, and it's like that it looks, looks so old now. I know. Yeah, uh, which is a it reminds me of something else that I thought was what I when I heard this was that so blade runner 2049 um i watched a documentary on the, on the disc about this is how do i put this exactly so 2019 comes and goes and it's not our 2019 is not the blade runner 2019 and so they said that they're very intentional about 2049 the movie being a an extension of that 2019 not ours and so that's why you still you'll still get things like the atari logo and some other things that oh, cool. we just don't see in our okay. world anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah. I missed that. Uh, the characters, we talked a lot about Harrison Ford, obviously. There's a ton of people, this is what I thought, thought was interesting, that were considered for him, for that character. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, like all the big actors for the time. Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman would have been interesting. I think that would fit a little bit more like French Connection type oh, of thing. I'm glad he didn't. Sean Connery, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman. Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones would have been interesting. But then they also go other ways like Schwarzenegger was up for the world. Oh, jeez. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, Riker Howard was the only choice. Like, that was immediate. superior. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, again, I, I love Harrison, but they could have put a cardboard box in there for the entire <laughs> thing. It would have been the exact same emotional appeal. Yeah. Seriously, there's, I, I, that's what frustrates me. It frustrates me about a little bit of Ahsoka sometimes. There's like no character stuff. Yeah. And that no, I, I hear you and agree. Crazy. So, which begs the question because Hero's Journey is next and trying to find oh stuff for that. If, and it doesn't always apply. No, there's um, no Hero's Journey here. No. The only thing that I got from this and the only kind of character development I got for Deckard was that 
he is, and I don't know what he got out of it. Because he, he does mention to Bryant that he was quit when he came in. He's twice as quit now. So apparently he lost the stomach for, quote unquote, retiring replicants. But it does seem like at least, and again, I'm looking at through the lens of 2049, that he does begin to see them as human, even a little bit at the end with, um, with Batty and he, and he dies. And that when you get to 2049, they do, and there's a little bit of this in the, in the extra scene that was excised. Is Sean Young in 2049? Kind of. There's a whole mystery box thing around that, which is fascinating. Her character is very, very important in that film. Let me just put it that way. Um, that he he did fall in love with her. That that is, according to the second movie at least, that that became a legitimate romantic long-term relationship. Mm. Healthy relationship. Mm. So, take that for what you will. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Disturbing. Yeah. Haunting. Yes. Uh, you know, with what you say about him kind of seeing the replicants as human, Craig, that's the, there's one part in the intro where his monologue, he says what he does, kill of the replicants. This was not called execution. This, or it's in the, it's in the credit. It's in the crawl. crawl. Yeah. It's not a, called execution. This was called retirement. Retirement. Yes. I and I think that, that kind of lends to, okay, but we know it's an execution. It doesn't matter what we, doesn't matter what we call it. We know what it really is. It's an execution of, of the yeah. machine. So it, it makes more sense as to why Harrison Ford is not stomaching this as well anymore or why he's losing this. I don't want to do this until they bring him in to do it again. Well, let's see, that's what I think is just fascinating that they have this whole question of, you know, the morality of creating the replicants at all. And that that's a thing that gets into 2049 too, that after this, that like, it's illegal to do that. There's, there's a whole bunch of little um, mini movies that kind of bridge the two, the two films uh, that talk a lot about that too. Um, I did mention the Atari thing. I, that's something else I found just kind of under world building that, uh, so Atari is in there, Bell, Coca-Cola, Cuisinart, Pan Am, and RCA all had, they all had product placement in the film and every single one of them like had massive financial setbacks after the film was released. Well, hmm. people saw the film. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Negatively associated with the, because the film initially did not receive, it has since become very well regarded, but initially it was like, it's not Star Wars. Yeah, that's what's wrong. What did people like this when it came out? I think hardcore people have always loved it, but I think mainstream wise, it probably has yeah. aged more it's, than aged well. Than it's very yeah. violent. It's very, uh, yeah. yeah. A couple other things. Uh, Corey, you'll like this. So, David Peoples, I think you might have mentioned this. I did. Uh, who's the, he did the co write, he did the, the rewrite on this, also wrote the film Soldier. Oh, he, he I love said that movie. it. I, I know you do. <laughs> he is referred to this as uh, as a or that movie as a sidequel. So they're it's set in the same universe. Uh, that would make sense. Fa- but my favorite one is that there's actually a bonus feature on the Blu-ray for Prometheus, the the alien prequel, which states unequivocally that Eldon Tyrell, the CEO of the Tyrell Corporation, was the mentor of Guy Pierce's character Peter Wayland, and so Alien and Blade Runner coexist in the same universe as That's well. That's interesting. Which would make sense. The Ridley verse. Yeah. Soldier, I could see where they could fit that in there. It would make sense. Yeah. You stop making replicants, you start making super soldiers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, final thoughts on Blade Runner. Dan? You know, again, I, I just, <laughs> I take no pleasure or joy in not liking it. And so I, I, there's a, I feel a little bit bad about that, but 
again, my thing, critical thinking and intellectual honesty, it just did not work for me. Doesn't mean it's not good. Doesn't mean it's not a classic or that doesn't deserve the accolades and the admiration that people give it. But for me as a, um, I don't know, as a father of three, I just can't imagine sitting down with my boys saying, hey, let's watch this movie together. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't do that. And that does sort of dictate my level of enjoyment for things as an adult. Um, and I, and as an English teacher, as I've said ad nauseum, there's really not any character development besides a really generous reading of the main villain who's performed uh, beautifully. But I just, it's hard for me to it relate or resonate with that. But again, it's not made for me and it doesn't have to be. So I'm glad that people like it. Um, if I couldn't, honestly recommend it except for as a piece of curiosity um i'm grateful that i saw it um the main reason i'm glad i saw it's because i got to talk to the two of you and learn from the two of you which i always do so that part uh is pretty great awesome Corey, what are you thinking Greg, you're totally think... regretting having me on the show i get it no no because i love the back and forth that's this what's is, awesome this is my final thought i think it's fantastic because finally on the podcast the last couple of weeks we've been getting to some movies that we disagree on and i think the reason we all get along so well we have such similar taste in some things and we see so many things together that we like some of the same things so much and we talk about them and at some point it becomes a love fest on the podcast where we all agree on some of these things and when when you describe some things, Craig's, it, it does make me see them better. And I like that this is a movie that I did not like. <laughs> I like that I get <laughs> on the fine. podcast and I have to kind of defend why it doesn't work for me because I agree with Dan. It doesn't work for me. It's a movie that I got lost on. It's a movie that I thought I hit fast forward a couple times. There were some things in there that I thought would not work today. And. And we have different reasons for it, but that's the best part about it, I think, is when you get a podcast or ways to talk about this and express this, where it's okay that not everybody's going to love it. And I love sci-fi movies. To find a sci-fi movie that I don't love is a big stretch for me and to make me go, I don't like it. But it does make me say this, and here's my final thought. It is good that someone likes this movie, or it would have been lost in time like Tears in the Rain. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, I would just say again that I... I was where you guys were after my first viewing and I, I really wanted to like the movie the first time I watched it and was disappointed that I did not. And I don't know what it is that's, that's changed in my own perspective, my own life since then. I know seeing the different version helped a lot. 2049 helped a lot um, because the world is so rich that it explores so many things in that second movie that it's, I can't really say that I watched this movie in, you know, by itself anymore. I have to watch it in the context, just knowing what's coming next and watching this, this, like I mentioned earlier, watching this, this time, uh, I enjoyed it so much and I, it's, I'm going to need to see 2049 again really quickly because it inspired me to do that again. I'm glad it brings Um, you joy, man. Yeah. For real. It does. We talked about, I think, yeah, it has an 89% on rotten tomatoes, which is higher than most DC films. So, I mean, well, I'm just saying. That's not a high I'm bar. saying uh, that's a podcast we, for another I time. I might really be in a minority here of saying that I don't like this film, or me and Dan. Uh, it's the chances that two out of three of us would not like this yeah. film does not match what critical responses yeah. are. Well, and I, I said it earlier, and I, I try to say this as much as I can. Like any really well, and I think you guys are probably even if you didn't like the film, you could agree that it's a well-made film. One hundred percent. 
100 percent it qualifies and therefore it qualifies as art and art is subjective and you're going to like some of it and some of it you're not and it's perfectly okay to like it or not like it take it or leave it and it might change or it might not later in life and that's great but if we can have a conversation in a civil way and have a discussion that's awesome that's all i'm looking for and that's the beauty of this show well, and Craig, when you explain things about all the stuff that we're looking at, it is educational and it brings out more elements to the show that I end up saying, okay, that would have worked. I did like that. Or that made more sense now. And it's the talk and the conversation that you have afterwards that is so powerful, more than just sometimes the one one viewing that I got. And so it, it, it makes me understand why you said, okay, I watched it a couple more times and I ended up loving the movie versus me who watched it many times fell asleep and then finally did watch it and said, Oh my gosh, I don't like it. And so you're telling me stick it, stick in there and you can, you can just hang in there and you can do it a couple more times, a couple more views. I won't do that, but I, I can see where maybe there's some things I would see <laughs> right. and start to like. There you go. Uh, Dan, before we let you go, what's going on with Kafu with Kenobi? So uh, on the show, uh, this week I had John Booker on. He is um, one of the people that um, he's the executive uh, at the Joseph Campbell Institute. So he and I talked about uh, the hero's journey and how that relates to Ahsoka. That was terrific. And I actually thought of you when I recorded it because I thought that would be something you would appreciate. Uh, we've got the live show every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time where I share a topic the week before. And you make a little top five list and sign up and you get your voice heard on Coffee with Kenobi, which is a blast. Uh, CoffeeWithKenobi.com is the website. We can go for news reviews and all kinds of fun things. Got a contest going on where you can win a Chatterback Chopper from Coffee with Kenobi and Hasbro. And always a, always a great time in the CWK Cafe, our Facebook group. Just really appreciate being a part of the Star Wars conversation and community. Yeah, I, I saw that pop up in my feed this morning and I was like, oh, here's Journey. That immediately piqued my interest. So I'm, I'm, it's, I started it, but I haven't finished yet. I'm, I'm very cool. excited to, to dig in. Uh, but I do. I just want to say thank you to everybody. For this I mean, third year anniversary. It's crazy. Like it like popped up in my Facebook feed today that we actually had dropped our episode zero or like a two minute little trailer thing that dropped three years ago. Today. I remember that. I remember you sending that to me. Uh, which was yeah, that's it's crazy, and it, I can't believe it's been three years. But I just want to just thank everybody who listens and subscribes, reviews, likes, sharing and posts of social media. Anybody's interacted with us. Uh, we just want to say thank you. Uh, we're truly grateful for for all of those things and those interactions. So please keep listening, spreading the word. Uh, our next show, our next episode is going to be a review of the movie Highlander, the original one from 1986. So we're kind of continuing. I, I, I texted I texted the guys earlier. Like it's weird. We did Logan and we did this, and then we're doing Highlander. And coincidentally, we're talking about mortality <laughs> and what what it means to be human. So um, that'll be our next episode. So if uh, if you have some thoughts on Highlander, send them to us and we'll share it on the next episode. 